I'm feeling like a champion. Welcome, Wildcat fans, to Hoops, the Daily Wildcat Basketball Podcast, brought to you by the sports desk at the Daily Wildcat. This is the weekly show will recap and analyze each week's UA basketball games and open a discussion on the court. I'm Ryan Wall, sports reporter at the Daily Wildcat and your host for this podcast. Each week we will discuss the highs and lows of that week's games, star players, things happening around the sports world. Today I will be joined by recurring guest hosts including Sean Fagan and Patrick Carr. This week we will discuss the win versus Oregon State, the bad loss against Oregon, and answer a big question. Have the Wildcats finally hit rock bottom? And then we also dive deep and give some predictions on the next two games against UCLA and number 17 USC. Alright, so we're back again. I'm here with Sean Fagan, Patrick Carr. Um, Sean, how are you today? Doing pretty good. A little stressed this week. Got some tests going on over the weekend, but glad to be here. That's why I love sports. Should be should be a good week. Two big games coming up. Uh, Patrick, what about yourself this week? Doing great as always. Not much more to add. I think we're just doing well. Sounds good. So let's get right into it. Um, so over the past week, the Wildcats uh, had two games against Oregon State and Oregon. First game, they played Oregon State. They won by nine points, but, I mean, just to me, looking at it, uh, being at the game, watching the game, and breaking it down, there wasn't many positives even after a win. I mean, it was the, well, the one positive. They did bounce back after losing those games on the road um, the previous week. But uh, if any, what did you guys take from the game, uh, Sean? So just as you were saying when I was watching it, honestly, it was an okay game. Although what I will say is that if they were playing anybody other than Oregon State, they probably would have lost. So I would say that they got pretty lucky with this one. So just as Patrick had said, Akinjo bounced back, you know, 14 points, although he did lead the way with nine turnovers. And Cloco, you know, he had a better game, nearing a double-double with nine points, eight rebounds. I honestly think, though, the star of the game was Kirk Creesa when he knocked down those back-to-back threes in the first half. He finally looked electric, like he was starting to come alive as a college ball player. And as a team, you know, rebounding and second-champ points, they were a little bit better, but like I said before, it was a pretty blase game. I mean, other than that, there really wasn't anything special. They were lucky that they won by nine points because they were tied at the first half. I had said last week if they went into the first half losing, I had predicted that they were going to lose the game. So they went in tied, got lucky in the second half, had some breaks. So, you know, okay game, but nothing really special. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't, you know, uh, just a beat down like the 40.1 was last time. I think if you're going to take anything away from this game, it was the starting lineup change with Creesa in for Terrell Brown Jr. That did add like a defensive identity change. Creesa is just very active as a defender. You know, we talked about how he's a really good, he can play full court defense, 94 feet. And that kind of is, that wears down ball handlers. So that's pretty important. And, uh, you know, Sean Miller knows he can work with that from now on. I think just getting him more involved with the team is really important as well, just because I think he's going to be a big part of this team's future for the next couple of years. I think he's a really good overall player. Uh, like you were saying, it wasn't special, crazy win, didn't really prove anything. Oregon State's a pretty bad team, and they beat them by nine at home. And I guess they had their defensive improvement is something good to look at because Sean Miller's been preaching that since the beginning of the season. He's been pretty disappointed with the defense. But it's a, a win's a win at the end of the day, and uh, you'll take it and go from there. Yeah, those are both good points, guys. Um, and, yeah, as you said, 
it kind of was like I feel like it was actually like an even team. Both teams shot the ball very poorly. I mean, Oregon State a little worse, 37% from the field, Arizona 40, and then both teams were under 40% as a team from uh, deep. But the two guys that stuck out to me in this game were Benedict Matherin and Christian Coloco. Christian Coloco, I believe this was his best game as an Arizona Wildcat. He had nine points, eight rebounds, uh, steal a block, and made five out of six foul shots, which is really um, impressive and a big improvement from his past. I mean, because we know his struggles uh, from there. But And it just seemed like he was more active and wanted to be more involved on the offensive end, which he just hasn't showed in the past. And Benedict Mathurin was just – I mean, I feel like he broke the game to open at points, hitting a few threes, three for six. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, it seems like Kerr, I mean, as you mentioned, Sean, each game he looks to be getting better and improving. And hopefully, I mean, he carries this hot streak into next year where, I mean, it seems like he'll be either the starting point guard or shooting guard or and a big part of this team's future. I mean, is there anything else you guys – took away from this game and what would you guys think about like Coloco or Mather in this particular game Patrick well our patience with Coloco has been running short on this podcast as we've all mentioned before but you're right that was definitely his best game as a wildcat you know he typically only played 15 minutes a game because of foul trouble and a lot of his 15 minutes seemed to be turnover induced and just cakewalks to the basket but he provided that actual big man 7-3 presence that he's supposed to provide under the basket for once. And you know, we talked about how he's actually improving and becoming a little more confident in that free throw line jumper. So if he's getting better from the free throw line and he's getting a respectable jumper from that area, that just makes the whole lineup and the whole floor so much space for Arizona, which has been an issue all year, some of the lineup combinations. So him improving that jump shot, that free throw, that free throw shot as well is going to be really important because then he can be confident and trust himself and get down low and go to the foul line. It's not a big issue if he gets fouled anymore. Whereas last season when he was a 37% free throw shooter, fouling him was almost like a turnover. So that might be the most important part of his game, his development. And with Matherin, uh, he's just, I think he's just this best player on the team. You know, he's, he looks like an NBA player to me. He's about a 50, 45, 88% shooter, which is ridiculous as a 19 year old in college, especially on the wing position. And he just kind of keeps improving and impressing me every single day. And uh, I've only seen him once in person at the Stanford game. And like that was the game where he had a hurt ankle. But he's just so smooth. And his jump shot is a really smooth stroke as well. He, he can create shots for himself, which is impressive as a 19-year-old like that. Yeah, I'd say I agree with Patrick. I mean, especially with Benedict Matherin. Uh, I hope he doesn't leave to go to the NBA. Do I think he's ready to? Absolutely. If he stays, I feel that Arizona can be a really good team next year. I just think that these guys needed a year to play together. And then with Coloco, so this, yeah, was it his best game? Absolutely. I'm not. I'm probably not going to be as friendly when we get into the next game. But I will again, as I want to stay positive with him. He aver- He nearly got a double-double in that Oregon State game, which is very difficult in college, no matter what position you play. So I feel that his confidence is starting to grow. And what I did see, I think, would be the solution for him is, as we just noted, his jump shot's really not that good. His free throw shooting's improving. But he is actually a really good recipient of lobs. If you get him an open lob, he will hammer it down. And I think that's maybe what's been hampering him is that they haven't found what it is that makes his game unique or what can turn him into a scoring machine. 
and I believe that it is the lob game. I mean, he's what seven foot one, so he's going to be taller than a lot of guys. So I feel that maybe next year, Kirk Creasa already looks as if he is a distributor already well beyond his years. So I think if him and Coloco can find a sort of rhythm in a game, they can definitely be a great one-two knockout duo next year. As you mentioned, um, like the next game as it starts to get ugly. I mean, let's just let's just get right into it. That's the big topic. That's the big story of the week for the Wildcats. Um, so on Saturday afternoon, they faced off against the Oregon Ducks, and they they were. Uh, I mean, they started the game. They were down by a little bit. Um, and it, it looked like it could have started to get ugly from, for Oregon's side, I mean, dominating Arizona. And then Arizona came back and kept it close at halftime. And then the game was close mainly the whole second half until just that end where we keep hammering home that this team cannot finish games. And they proved that time in um, game after game in the last about two to three years and longer since Sean Miller's pretty much been here. And um, there were so many positives um, in this game. Like I want to point out, Tabella's 20.7 rebounds, three for five from three. Uh, Kirk Creasa, this was his best game as a Wildcat so far, 12 points, five assists, four for nine from three. And was just excellent shooting the lights out um, there. And Sean Miller went to him late, which is crazy because it was only his fourth game. But, uh, yeah, what were your guys' thoughts on this disappointing loss, um, Sean? Yeah, so honestly, before the game started, I knew it was going to be a bad day when I saw the network that was calling it and Bill Walton was going to be on. Cause I mean, I'm just going to be honest for really quick, man, Bill Walton sucks as an announcer. I mean, as seriously, as soon as I thought, I was just like, Oh great. This is going to be a long night. I mean, the he, dude talks talks more, he talks more. He talks exactly. He talks more about life than basketball. It's yeah. Crazy. He literally, I honestly counted. He talked more about Galentine's day than he actually did about the actual on, on court game that was happening during that time. So now that I got that out of the way, because I've been feeling that way since the ASU games, but now they got it out of the way. All right. So Arizona rebounding was absolutely abysmal throughout this entire game. It was virtually non-existent. The offense just dried up in the second half completely. There was no rim protection the entire game. I mean, nothing. Arizona was outscored 30 to 18 in the paint. So what do you expect? And honestly, for me, this game was very reminiscent to Stanford, where it was a game they should have won. They had it in the final minutes. But as you just talked about, Ryan, this team just doesn't know how to close out close games. They just haven't found it. And that speaking of that, that last defensive possession was absolutely terrible. I mean, they went for a double team, and then they left Chris Duarte wide open for that three. And, of course, he's going to sink that almost every time. Yeah. And yeah, that, that just proves that. And even Sean Miller after the game, he said that that that's on me and I got to do better late in games. And he said that, and it, it, it's really just the truth. And getting back to what you said, um, Sean, and it, it literally from one game to the next, Christian Coloco looked like a different player and looked like he was transcending into maybe like a guy that we thought coming into last year he was going to be a guy who can block, like a guy who can block shots, put a little um, like put some points together on the offensive end and do a little bit of everything. But this game was back to the normal Christian Coloco. He literally was an absolute zero on the court on both ends and just and yeah and just hurt the team out there. And um, 
another guy that was invisible and his he played 10 minutes and they were basically just wasted was Dalen Terry. I mean, he played 10 minutes. He had three uh, fouls. He had three fouls in his first, like, three minutes in game. And, like, he literally just didn't do anything. I mean, I really believe – I was thinking this at, uh, um, during the game that if Jamal Baker was still playing – Dalen Terry wouldn't be in the rotation. He just wouldn't. There's just not there, – there, first of all, there's not a lot – there's not enough minutes to go around for all these guys, let alone a guy who literally doesn't produce at all. And, I mean, it just – another key fact and stat that I want to point out stood out to me, and it's just still crazy to look at, is 5 for 20. Benedict Mather and James Akindro were 5 for 20 from the field – and two for eight from three. You're just not going to win like that. Those are your two, basically, I would say, well, those two and Tabellas are your three most productive scorers, but those are two out of the three. Two of your three best scorers on offense can't go five for 20, period. I mean, what did you guys uh, see from them in this So that basically adds to the point where when your best players aren't having their best games, who wants to step up? Who wants to say, I'm going to be that guy for this game, even if it's just one game? Somebody has to have the attitude and determination to say, okay, our best players are down. Nothing's going right now. I'm going to be that guy. Even if you pick up a foul, even if you miss the shot, at least do something. And I just don't really see anybody right now, as you just mentioned, Ryan, especially with Dale and Terry. I don't know if he just doesn't want to be there anymore or he really genuinely just doesn't want to put in effort because he's upset about something. But I don't see anybody else wanting to step up. As Patrick said, everybody always plays hot potato with the basketball almost every game, especially when they're behind the arc. Everybody's scared to take the shot or they think, oh, I'm going to give it to somebody else because I don't want to miss and then be talked about. No, if you want to be the guy, if you at least want to be the substitute guy for that game, then step up and do something. And I don't really feel that Arizona has many of those guys left. As I know we keep hammering Coloco, but I just feel every game he takes one step forward and then jumps 15 steps back. So unless somebody in the remainder of this season wants to play for something other than pride, it's just not going to go well. Yeah, and uh, Patrick, I uh, along those lines, something else that a question came to my mind, which I want to ask you, Patrick, right now, is – to me, just the rotations and just like the the way that Sean Miller uh, distributes the minutes and substitution, like his patterns are just off. They don't uh, – I was like sitting there at the game and I was just thinking to myself, there was like – there was four minutes left. Matherin wasn't in the game. And then I think with either like 245, three minutes, he put him back in. Um, so like, I just don't really get it. it I, I don't know if he's not confident fully in him yet. I mean, he, he was struggling. He was two for 10, 0 for six from three. And that could have, no, there's not one player for any loss is the reason for a team's lo- like losing that game. But I mean, he's been one of your best players. Everyone has slumps. So you got to let him shoot out of it, you know, and build that back up. Like Patrick, do you like, do you feel similar to me about these? rotations and substitution patterns yeah i haven't really agreed with most of miller's rotations or lineups this year it's you know i think he loves old school basketball and he loves non-shooting lineups which i just don't understand in 2021 world of basketball because you need at least four shooters on the floor but on on that point too Cree said he had that final shot but he also didn't even seem to close the game i think with two minutes left 
he wasn't playing defense, which he's also one of the team's best defenders, and he wasn't in an offense. It was Terrell Brown, who, since Crease has come back, Terrell Brown seems to kind of know that Crease is looking over his shoulder and taking over his minutes. And Crease was definitely the second best player for Arizona that game. He should have been in the last eight minutes at least and give him a couple 30 seconds, 30 seconds stints for, uh, for rest and just to get him fresh legs out there. But him and Matherin, even when your best player down to bad game, you don't take them out of crunch time spots. You know, you could have someone shooting poorly, but like you said, you got to let them shoot out of the slump. And even if they're just not shooting well, they do so many other good things for the team and the team is just more fluid and smooth with them on the court that it makes no sense to take them out. And it just kind of kills their confidence because they may think, okay, I can never shoot poorly again or else the coach isn't going to trust me in a crunch time situation against a team like Oregon. And it's just kind of, this is not the right mindset or fundamental coach idea to take Mather, who's probably been your best player all season, out of a really close game against Oregon like that just because he was having a poor shooting day. Yeah, and as Sean brought up a little bit earlier about those last 15 seconds and last part of that game, I just want to break it down um, for uh, for everyone and, and and see really where they went wrong. So there was so there was 15 um, there was 15 seconds left. Akinjo had the ball. He dribbled it up, and it literally didn't seem like right before that they had a timeout, and it didn't seem like when he was dribbling the ball up. It didn't. There was no set play or anything. It basically just seemed like the normal James Akinjo. Just he's taking the shot. He's doing it himself. He's pulling up, and he, no one else is getting involved. And then there, he was dribbling it, and then they fouled them with two seconds left. But it basically seemed like the game was going to be over anyway. It seemed like the clock was just going to run out because either he wasn't going to get a shot off, or he was going to get a shot off with two guys in his face. So, and then the second part is when they came out again after another timeout, the play they so called up is a play for their freshman guard that's played four games. Like, this just doesn't make sense to me. That, that, that That's the guy. I, I know he hit four threes, but actually in the last half, he wasn't shooting the ball, ball well. So, this just doesn't make sense to me. Like, Sean, does this, like, resonate with you too like that? As you you just said I do not fault Kirk Risa for missing that shot. Honestly, I give him the most credit for taking it because there weren't a lot of guys on that court, if any, that would have taken it. I honestly fault all of this and that play calling to Sean Miller. We've we've talked about it before how they've had chances in these games late, and 18, 19 year olds don't know how to win these games. So when you boast about your coaching skills and how you've basically been a coach for 20 odd years this should be a cakewalk for you to set up okay if they missed the shot they missed the shot i get that but to have the disorganization that they had in these final 15 seconds or so where they should have won the game was so frustrating because again as we've talked about before you if, if the team is down by more than six points in the final three minutes in essence you can almost just say it's a wrap it's done they're not coming back and I just think teams know that now and they think, okay, as long as we are able to play our game and we stay focused, we're going to win every time. So I just don't see anything else Arizona can do when they get in these situations because every time it just seems we predict the same result. Yeah. And this gets, and I, yeah, I was passing the blame to Sean Miller in that last uh, play call. It wasn't really nothing to do with Kirk Creasa. Kerr, it seemed like after the game, Miller explained that the first read was to Tabellus down low, and then the second read was to Kerr, to Kerr for the shot. So, yeah, I mean, 
th th there was there's no time left so he had to shoot it someone had to shoot it it doesn't really matter that's not really the point but this gets back to the bigger um theme and bigger picture issue of this roster and what i've been uh pounding home for weeks now is that they just don't have a guy like to go to late in games they don't have a go-to score to, to consistently rely on late in games you know, normally on basketball teams, like you, uh, you saw at Oregon, Chris Duarte, they need a shot. They go to their best scorer. He had a poor game, but he came up big, and he's a big shot player. So, but, you know, so that, that just gets back to the whole big picture issue of not having that guy. I mean, I hope so, I hope Kerr does develop into that guy, but just the it, it just seems like Sean is just very confused in these late-game situations. Anything to add here, Patrick? Um, I mean, you know, like I said earlier, they were lucky they got a shot off because Oregon fouled them, but they were very close to not even getting up a shot in 15 seconds. And last year versus Oregon, the first matchup, they lost by one point, I think was the final tally, and they didn't get a shot up at the end of regulation either. And then the second matchup, they missed four free throws in the last 30 seconds to win as well. So it is just time after time again, it seems like Sean and other teams do not know how to win close games late. Yeah, and let's – and um Let's get into my next big question. And was the title of our podcast last week, have the Wildcats hit rock bottom? Let me ask you guys the question. Have they finally hit rock bottom? Sean? I would go as far as to say not only have they hit rock bottom, they were already there. And they've been there for a while now. I would argue that they've been there ever since that Stanford loss. They've just never been the same. Because we all knew once they lost to Stanford, not only was the Pac-12 title out of reach potentially, but the whole season was done because with the self-imposed ban, they're not going to the tournament. So after that, I get it. You can't go to the Pac-12 tournament and you're not going to go to March Madness. But as I said before, my gosh, go out there and play with some pride. I understand that things have been difficult this past year and there's a lot of factors that the players couldn't control, but you are still a part of this team. Your job isn't finished. As long as there are games on the schedule and you are able and healthy to play, then you go out and play. You go play your hardest. I don't care if there's nothing to play for in your mind. There's always something to play for. You know what that's called? A win. But apparently that's not enough for this team. Wins aren't enough. Pride's not enough. School spirit's not enough. I don't know what is enough. And I know a lot of them think, oh, well, as long as I just play sort of well enough in these last few games, I can go get drafted into the NBA. Well, I caution you for that because I wrote an article about this a couple weeks ago about how there's only 60 spots in the NBA draft. And that doesn't even figure into all the players overseas that get drafted. Okay. So if everybody on this team just thinks that they can just sit down and give up and it's over, who cares? I'm probably going to go to the NBA anyway. I caution you because there are so many more players out there that are much hungrier, that are much more determined, that have even less to play for, that aren't even on a team as accomplished as Arizona and as notarized as Arizona. So I honestly don't see anything else special going on for this team. They, they've they given up. They're sitting on the bottom of the ocean doing nothing, just talking to each other about what their plans are next or who cares about anything going on right now. And it's honestly embarrassing to watch. Let me, are we talking rock bottom for this season or rock bottom for the basketball program, men's basketball program as a whole? Let me ask you that, Ryan. Yeah, um, basically for like the rest of the season and just like the outlining like future, I mean, nearby, like, yeah, close future for this program. I mean, 
because like we're not going to die. We we've went through it, but like I mean, most of these guys, it's going to be the same group of talent added a few extra guys. So yeah, I do. This season is rock bottom, and it just seems to kind of get worse after every loss. And I think we've got at least two more losses coming with the LA schools. Um, but I, you're probably right. After that Stanford losses, when they hit it, and they haven't looked as confident. You know, maybe after that self-imposed ban for the Pac-12 tournament and March Madness, all they were looking forward to is the ASU games because it's a big deal to beat your rival school in football and basketball. Coaches also have a little incentive in their contracts to win those games, so that helps Sean Miller's bank account. But, you know, they won those games, won the first one tight, won the second one going away. And after that, it just seems like it's been a lot. It's been like a wah, wah, wah since those games, which is too bad because Sean Miller talked about after the self-imposed ban that they've got a group hungry to win the regular season title. But you just don't see that anymore after those ASU games. You see teams that are kind of, or guys that are looking for their own stats right now. Uh, for the program, I don't think we're at rock bottom yet just because this there is talent. It's young talent. You know, like I said, they had the sixth overall recruiting class in the country this past season, according to 247 Sports, number one in Pac-12. And I don't think many of these guys are leaving. So, you know, the question is, well, they weren't that good this year. Why should we look forward to next year? But a lot of these guys got to grow and develop, and they've got to develop chemistry as a team. And I think Matherin is going to leave and probably should leave. But with the likes of Creesa, Tabellis coming back, that should be a one-two tandem at least next year that's going to get better, and they're going to have chemistry next year. And also, someone we haven't seen this year who's also a pretty highly touted four-star is Daniel Baccio. He uh, has been out for a knee injury all season, and I think he's got good potential, too. I think he was about 70 to 80 in uh, the recruiting class. So I think the program has a decent look for the future. I don't really know what the ceiling is with Sean Miller anymore just because when they play good teams, he just seems outmatched on the sidelines. And uh, close games, I always seem, he seems outmatched on the sidelines, too. And March Madness, the last five years, has been pretty disappointing results once they get there. Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you guys. I mean, for this season, they're rock, they've hit rock bottom, and it's been like that. I mean, as you, Patrick just said, that since the Stanford game, and even after those two road losses, when they were coming back home for the both the Oregon schools and both of those games, and they beat Oregon State, they didn't even seem like a sense of, like, that didn't really seem to boost the spirit of the team or really do anything, actually. It seemed like... Going into that Oregon game after the Oregon State um, win, um, yeah, and the, the two games before that, it really seemed like they were they were coming off three losses. That's how it basically felt. And the one thing that just comes to my mind is it seems like Sean Miller might have lost the locker room. I mean, there, there's so many guys. I mean, we saw a few games ago, Benedict Mathurin was on a tear, playing his best ever, and then, like, he's getting benched at halftime because of so, his so-called attitude and this and that. And, yeah, stuff stuff just doesn't match, uh, um, doesn't match up right here. But uh, on that note, we have to take a break in here from our sponsor. Welcome, Wildcat fans, to Play Ball, the Daily Wildcat Baseball and Softball Podcast. Join me, Ari Koslow, assistant sports editor, in this new weekly show where we will highlight the Arizona baseball and softball teams, recap the previous series, and look ahead to what's next for each team. We will hear from myself and others on the sports desk at the Daily Wildcat as we report and recap what you need to know this season. It is exciting times for both teams as the official NCAA website has the Wildcat softball team ranked number 3 in the country and the baseball team ranked number 22 in the country so expectations are high for both teams. This will be your first stop for all things Arizona softball and baseball. We will catch all of you on the first episode soon. 
This podcast is a Daily Wildcat production. Daily Wildcat, online all the time at dailywildcat.com. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you stream podcasts. Subscribe, rate, comment, and share. That was the word from our sponsor. If you're interested in working for the Daily Wildcat on our student at UA, visit dailywildcat.com slash apply now. All right, um, we're back with Sean and Patrick. And let's get into our final um, thing we got to cover today. And as uh, Sean mentioned earlier, the next two games are against both um, California schools this Thursday night, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. The Wildcats go on the road to UCLA um, to play the Bruins and then finish that mini road trip up in their last of the season against uh, number 17 USC on Saturday. Uh, so let's get into the UCLA game first. I mean, they uh, lost to UCLA their first time by five points, disappointing loss. And then um, UCLA's kind of had a, hit a rough patch. Uh, the last month or so since they last played the Wildcats. So how do you think they'll fare in this game, uh, Sean? I'll just go out and say it and be honest. They have no chance. I am giving them 0.0% chance to win because they have given up and UCLA still has something to play for. I know that it's getting near the end of the season and USC is taking the top spot, but that's the whole point of UCLA's program is that they're always filled with pride and confidence and they get to go to the tournament as well. So they're not just going to roll over and let Arizona come into their house and take it. So I honestly predict double-digit loss against UCLA. It's not going to be pretty. I'm actually going to be there to witness it for for the Daily Wildcat representing. But I'm going to enjoy the game as a spectator. But in terms of having to write the report after, probably not going to be the best thing. But yeah, that's it's not going to be good. Yeah, I think I do think they're going to have an 0 2 LA road trip. I think they've got if any chance to win either game. It'll be the UCLA one. USC is just much better. We'll talk about that in a second. UCLA has kind of hit that rough patch since that Stanford loss where they lost to the buzzer beater to that uh, baseline out of bounds play when Stanford was missing three starters, like when they beat Arizona. But Mick Cronin's a really good coach. You know, last year UCLA was predicted to finish like 10th in the Pac 12. And Mick Cronin had them on a hot streak to finish the season, and they were going to be a force to be reckoned with in the tournament if it were able to happen. So they're probably the second or third best team in the Pac-12 next to Colorado. I think, like Sean said, probably a double-digit win. But if anything to look forward to take away from this game for Arizona, it's just going to be how does Tubelis and how does Creesa look when they face better competition. And Tubelis so far when they play the high-known schools like Oregon, like USC the first time, has really shown up. So I'd be impressed if he does that again. Yeah, um, it's going to be – this is going to be a tough uh, two-game road trip to end the season uh, here. And, they, yeah, they lost, they lost a tight one to UCLA then. And UCLA, uh, about when they beat Arizona, looked to be the best team in the Pac-12. Not so the case right now. But, I mean, yeah, I agree with totally with Patrick. If, if I had to pick one game out of these next two they win, it's definitely this one. I mean – USC just seems like they're on a different level right now. Um, and yeah, so um, for the UCLA game, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a close loss. What about you, Patrick? We already got Sean said that they're going to dominate him. Six, probably six to seven point loss. Uh, you know, probably one of those, you'll see it come down. You're going to have to foul down the stretch, but 
they'll have a chance, but maybe we'll see another late game collapse. You never know. Yeah, and I, I yeah, I think it's going to be a close loss too. Uh, so we're uh, all think that, all predict that. Um, but something I want to see in these next two games, I want to see him play more of these guys that haven't maybe played at all of the season or guys that just haven't got a lot of minutes. I don't care. I mean, at this point, we've said it. The guys need to shoot, and the only way to get out of slumps is to shoot your way out and get game experience. I want to see Dalen Terry play more. I really do. I mean, I think he should take some of Terrell Brown's minutes and just any minutes that, that he could get. I mean, I really – Playing him 10 minutes isn't helping him or it's not helping anybody. I mean, how can somebody grow when they're that young? I believe he's 18. Um, so, yeah, how can he grow when he's that young? But, yeah, let's get right into the USC game. And that first game was a blowout and one of the Arizona's worst losses of the season. They lost by um, 14 points, and it was it was, uh, it was was an ugly one. US, uh, USC is looking like they can be a contender not only in the Pac-12, but in the, you know, in March Madness in general. Evan, the Mobley brothers and uh, Addy are really uh, playing well. So, yeah, Sean, how do you think this is uh, going to play out? So, as I said, the UCLA game, they're going to get beat bad, and the USC game, they're going to get crushed. I mean, USC is the hottest team, I would argue, right now in the NCAA. USC has all the confidence in the world. They got them at their home court. So it's going to be a complete and utter disaster, I feel, for Arizona. And it's really sad because one of the nice things about always coming to California, because I'm from California, is the nice nightlife, the restaurant scene, you know, all the entertainment that you can go do. And unfortunately, right now with the pandemic, none of that's accessible. So honestly, for both the USC and UCLA games, the best thing that Arizona is going to have is the room service in their hotel. And other than that, it's going to be a uh, pretty pretty bad weekend yeah usc is just really good i mean they're 12th in ken palm net rating right now they're even adjusted net rating 23.7 which is kind of crazy they're just they're blowing teams out they're gonna have a top three pick and evan mobley at worst probably is a chance he climbs up to number two but they're gonna be a three between three to five seed in uh the ncaa tournament and the fact that that's the best team in the pac-12 is something the pac-12 has to worry about itself it's pretty bad that's a whole different conversation uh, I don't see the biggest chance here. Uh, Coloco does not have the speed or the agility or the quickness to stick with Mobley. And Tabellis is just going to get eaten alive defensively trying to guard Evan Mobley as well. So this one's probably going to get close to 20 for most of the game. The only way Arizona has a chance is if Tabellis, Creed said Mathur, and Mathur and just get hot in three and Akinjo takes care of the ball. That's really it. Yeah. I don't and, see uh, the I don't see the Arizona starters uh, lasting very long. Same thing thing with USC starters I see them being out halfway through the second half of the game yeah and Patrick as you just said you brought up blowouts I mean the last five games I'll just run it down real quick they lost I mean they won by 13 they beat Stanford by six on the road and then they won by beat UCLA by 18 then they beat Washington by 15 and then they just beat Washington State um by 11 and three out of those five were on the road I just named and this team is just rolling, and Evan uh, Mobley is is a force to be reckoned with. And I just frankly don't see any. I, I don't know if he. I mean, Coloco's too like. I don't even think Coloco's that quick and to keep up with him. And I mean, I do think he. I mean, he has that block potential, that defensive uh, potential, but um, I don't really see much there. I mean, yeah, I predict. 
it seems like along with you two, I uh, I predict a loss, and I think this could uh, this could be 15 or more. I mean, if this if they get if Arizona gets off to like a slow start again, I mean, this USC team's going to finish them off, and there won't be a way back. Uh, any last thoughts for today's show, guys? Just look for I want to see an all freshman lineup. Arizona has the potential to do it. I want to see it. Yeah, that sounds good. But uh, unfortunately, we are out of time today. But be sure to check out our show each week, every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But until next time, we say peace. Thank you for listening. This has been Hoops, the Daily Wildcat Basketball Podcast. Thank you to everyone involved in this project, including sports editor Jacob Minuti, assistant sports editor Ari Koslow, managing editor and producer Pascal Albright, the sports desk at the Daily Wildcat, Arizona Student Media, and you, our listeners. For more info, contact us and visit us online for our weekly newsletter. The Daily Wildcat online all the time at dailywildcat.com. And be sure to check us out on Twitter at Daily Wildcat and at Wildcat Hoops. This has been Hoops, the Day Wildcat Basketball Podcast. I said that it can't be-